0: You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Hello, and welcome to Path of Love. I'm Marcus. Today, we're on Chapter 7 of David Youngren's book, Awakening to I Am Love. Chapter 7 is called The Myth of Failure. It starts out by, Nothing in the human experience is more universal than failure. Let's talk to David and see how he can explain a little bit of chapter seven. Hey, David, how are you doing today?
1: Good. I am, uh, you know, enjoying life and welcome back from, uh, I understand you were in Hawaii for a little
0: bit of vacation,
1: so I'm glad you're back again. I'm not sure you're glad, but I'm glad you're (laughs) back.
0: (laughs) It was a wonderful experience. I would encourage everyone to go to Kauai and, you know, Feel that groundedness that you you spoke of earlier
1: in your Yeah, no, it's, it's um, <laughs> every time I've been there, you know, whenever we're gone as a family there, it's, it's oh, I just love it. I absolutely love it. I Such wish a, I could go more beautiful. often. I w- always want to go more often. I could just, that's a place to live, right?
0: It's a place to live and get lost in nature. It's, it's so beautiful. Um, the chapter seven is called The Myth of Failure. I I know I stated in the opening that the first word says, nothing in the human experience is more universal than failure. Can you start out by explaining a little bit about that?
1: All of us, as you probably know, we make mistakes. It's probably part of the human experience. We make mistakes. We trip up, we say the wrong things, we do the wrong things, we act a certain way we shouldn't act. And sometimes we do things that is not even intentionally, but we may hurt people, we may cause people problems. And and so failure, as I said, is something that happens to all of us. And of course, we know in, in many religions, we call it sin. Uh, but it's of course broader than that, but, but yes, it's, it's something that all of us naturally will go through in life and probably maybe several times a day, sometimes.
0: And then you jump to a word used loves prompting. Can you explain what loves prompting is?
1: Well, I make the distinction in the beginning because <clears throat> when you make, when you do things wrong, when you make a mistake, there is the initial feeling is an emotion you get, right? Like you get this feeling of guilt. Now guilt is this feeling that I've done something wrong. Shame is this feeling there's something wrong with me. And so when I come, when it comes to the word loves prompting, I'm I'm making this distinction because people say, you say that uh, guilt is a debilitating emotion then people say, well, you know, you need guilt. Otherwise, you know, people will end up in a mess and all of that. Well, I I tell people, no, there is a difference. Guilt is something that the ego creates. Guilt is a coping mechanism that the ego creates, while love's prompting is something that comes from the spirit. In other words, you may make a mistake. We all make mistakes. And love's prompting is then a feeling of, okay, I made a mistake, but it's void of judgment. Void of judgment against yourself or anybody else. Like it doesn't have that, while guilt always has an element of judgment. You judge yourself, you feel terrible about yourself or something, there's a strong emotion, but loves prompting lacks that emotion or feeling. It's just uh, an inner natural response so that when you make a mistake, you extend love, forgiveness, compassion, and when you make a mistake, you you basically ask people to forgive you for it, and you apologize for it. So that, that's, that's a distinction I'm trying to make there.
0: And you also used in, uh, in this chapter a story with a person by the name of Caitlin, and you used a, a very specific type of what people would call sin and would feel more apt to say, oh, she was wrong. She was a terrible person and it was a sexual sin. And that's one thing that a lot of people jump on very quickly to judge you, blame you, make you feel guilty, but even yourself, judge yourself, make yourself feel guilty. Uh, Can you explain a little bit about uh, that story?
1: and when i set out to write this chapter what i had in mind was to explain the role of guilt a lot of us believe that guilt is a an appropriate emotion to have when we make mistakes but what i'm suggesting in the book is that actually guilt is counterproductive guilt is as i said a feeling that we have when we make when we make a mistake guilt is opposes unconditional love. And we talked about that in previous episodes, that guilt is an emotion that opposes the unconditional love because the moment that you experience guilt or this strong emotion that you've made a mistake, what you're suggesting is, or what you're saying is that unconditional love is not enough for me. And so there is a disconnect from your true essence that permeates with love. And because of that, now the ego creates a coping mechanism, which is guilt. So, this story is about a woman who experienced guilt and actually the consequences of that guilt and how it actually was the guilt that ended up destroying her. And eventually, when she was free from the guilt, then she was, she went through wholeness. But it was, it is really a story about guilt and the consequences of guilt. So, it, it's about a woman, she went to a, a, a um, bachelorette party, she got drunk. She wound up having a sexual encounter with a male stripper in front of everybody. And of course, she was married. And when her husband found out, he was disappointed at first, but he forgave her. But Caitlin, as I mentioned here in this book, she could not forgive herself. It continued to live on inside of her. She felt so dirty. She told this story over and over again about herself. I feel so dirty, so guilty, and so filled with self-loathing. Uh, you know, I'm so disgusted with myself. She experienced tremendous shame and guilt. And as I said, guilt is a prelude to shame. Shame is this, there's a feeling there's something wrong with me. Guilt says I've done something wrong. And the more we think about and the more we tell ourselves a guilt story, the more it leads to shame. And that leads to our sense of identity, who we believe ourselves to be. So now we live out who we believe ourselves to be. So this woman, because of that, she saw herself as a cheater. She began to see herself as someone who is perverted, someone who is, uh, she had all these guilty feelings that led to shame, that led to this imprint in her mind, this is who I am. And so her life began to spiral out, eventually divorced her husband because she just felt like she wasn't good enough. And she then started to drink alcohol, she got involved in a lot of other men, and her whole life just hit rock bottom until she awakened to love until she awakened to this presence within her that made her whole that made her emotions whole again. And that that's really the story that we talk about in, in this chapter.
0: You talk about guilt has a way of destroying us from the inside. And in this story, it kind of manifested itself by her, uh, you know, indulging in that guilt because the same thing she condemned herself for or put herself down for or beat herself up on, she still went into doing that same type of life. Does guilt allow that to happen or does your action or reaction to guilt allow that to happen?
1: Guilt, uh, there's a difference, of course, between psychological guilt and judicial guilt and psychological guilt is an emotion. And when we experience that emotion of psychological guilt, we are rejecting love. We are rejecting unconditional love. We are rejecting our true essence, and our oneness with God. We're saying, no, this is not who I am. We're rejecting that. And so guilt is a, as I said, a, a mechanism that the ego uses to somehow or another improve yourself. So if you're have if you guilty long enough, if you go through enough guilt, uh, it is almost like embedded into the way we see guilt is that if 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 I, if I make a mistake, I need to be punished for it, and uh, depending on the size of the crime, so to speak, or the size of the problem I have, I deserve a bigger punishment. And so guilt is a form of punishing ourselves. But what happens, the more you tell the story, you know, we, we have tell ourselves these stories. We have all these little stories in our head. And so the, the incident took place. Now, The incident took place, but then it was over. It was gone. So how did it live on? Well, it lived on in her mind as a story she kept telling herself. And that story became bigger and bigger and bigger. And now she began to identify with the action and her mistake as being part of her identity. And because it now was part of her identity, she acted out who she believed she was.
0: So do you feel that society has a big influence in that? Are the judicial system, basically. Because when you go or get arrested for something and you get in front of a judge, the first thing is, are you guilty or not guilty? And then also um, society's um, thoughts about a person they see on the news. Is that person guilty? Or is that person not guilty of doing that? We see that in everyday life. How do you show Uh, the ego and guilt in those relations?
1: Well, I mean, there's, as I said, a difference between judicial guilt and psychological guilt. I deal more with the psychological guilt here in the book. But for example, just to give you a little bit of a backdrop, uh, when we, guilt is really a fearful feeling that arises when we compromise or violate either a universal or personal moral code of conduct. And when I say universal, uh, I, I refer to as you talk about, okay, you commit, you break the law, and now you're arrested and now you're placed before a judge. And in that sense, you are guilty. And in some ways that may actually be psychologically beneficial because it's worse when there is no one there to put you in jail or to declare you either innocent or guilty. It's much worse to have that emotional, psychological feeling of guilt where you have now broken a moral code. You have done something wrong and now you feel this inner sense of, I have done something wrong. Like this woman, Caitlin, she hadn't done anything illegal, Mm -hmm. but what she did was she broke a moral code, her own personal code, and because she broke her own personal code, That's why she experienced this incredible feeling of guilt. And in the same way as the judge, when you're standing in front of a court and you have done something wrong, can send you to prison. In the same way, your subconscious now wants to punish you for the psychological guilt you're going through. So how does it punish you? Well, it punishes you through anxiety, worry, depression, guilt, It punishes you through these emotions that have this devastating effect on your mental health, your emotional health, and the way you see yourself and actually perpetuates the the mistake that you have been doing.
0: It's a consistent prison in your mind, basically. So, and a punishment that your mind seems to not be able to let go when other people may have forgiven you for your mistake you can't forgive yourself Um, and it continue to play back plays back and plays back in your mind Uh, you say that it is a relation to your subconscious can you explain on that
1: yeah think about it this way and i think i brought this up earlier but um, you can't forgive yourself depending on of course if you make a minor mistake you can forgive yourself but it's the big mistakes because we associate, okay, well, I made a small mistake. So the judge is only going to give me like a little, you know, don't do that again. Or the police is going to say, you got a speeding ticket, just pay the fine. That's a small mistake. And then, you know, you, you committed a major crime and now you are sent to prison. That's a bigger mistake. So when you make a bigger psychological mistake, when you make an error, like in this case, that has nothing to do with the law judicial, but that's all to do with you made a moral error the bigger it is, the more punishment subconsciously you believe yourself you must administrate. So your subconscious administrates the punishment, the ego, which is part of your subconscious. The subconscious administrates the punishment and the greater the misdeed in your mind, the greater the punishment is. And that punishment, as I said, is anxiety, worry, depression, guilt, and so on.
0: So you talked about what guilt was universal or social, and then personal rules, which is your personal rules that you've created for your own individual lives, marriage, or whatever. But how guilt affects our self-identity. Can you explain a little bit more on that?
1: Yeah. Again, um, think of it this way. When you make a mistake and you rehash that mistake in your head. So in the, t- in the case of this woman, Caitlin, she made a mistake. What was the mistake? She committed a sexual improper act, uh, something that was be con- will be considered not just improper, but it would be terrible and in her own moral code said, it's terrible what you did. She was drunk. She had all the reasons, all excuses, whatever, and she did something wrong. Now, the story of what she did lived on. The incident had passed. It's non-existent, but the story lived on in her head. It lived on in her thought life. And it lived on through emotions. And those emotions got programmed into our subconscious. And eventually, those emotions are established as part of your identity. So now you begin to see yourself as a cheater. You begin to see yourself as someone who is perverted. And now, because you act out who you believe yourself to be, now it leads to more of the same indiscretions because ultimately that's how you have been programmed. The egoic mind has been programmed into your heart, into your subconscious as a cheater, as someone who has that particular problem. So for example, if someone is an alcoholic, a person may drink, why do they continue to drink? Because at some point they began to believe that they are an alcoholic. It's part of their sense of self, their identity, and they live out who they believe themselves to be.
0: But doesn't the world continue to beat you down for what they call sin? Um, and how does how do you release it or from your mind? Because in the example of Caitlin, she's at her party, she's with friends. Some people won't allow you to let things go or forgive yourself from those things, or they continue to encourage the effects that they would have on your self-identity.
1: That can be true, but I think most of the time, the problem is in yourself. Most people struggle with their inner dialogue in fact, if someone accuses you of something, you actually put up a defense mechanism that then blames them. So that can give you that alleviates the guilt to some extent. So the people who have the most problems are those that have a inner dialogue with themselves, where they feel unworthy. because even if you think about it this way, if someone continually said negative things about you, continue to rehash things of the past, well, if your sense of identity was not wrapped up in that, it won't affect you, it won't bother you. But the reason why it bothers you is because that you feel a sense of, oh, that that is true. On a deep, you may not consciously agree with it, but subconsciously agree with it, and that's what makes you so angry and upset about it. You won't be angry and upset about it if, if, if you didn't feel that there was any sense of truth to it whatsoever, at least on a psychological and a, and, and a subconscious level. So one of your
0: subcategories are where guilt begins. You say we instinctively believe that guilt is a call for punishment for the mistake we make. So my question is, doesn't guilt help you not to do something or the makeup mistake again? Um, If not, wouldn't we just continue to keep making these mistakes and not care at all?
1: Well, the ego, that's the fallacy of the ego, right? Um, the ego believes that um, if you get punished enough, then you will somehow or another stop these terrible acts. But think about the people who go to prison. This is, you know, they made studies on the on this, that people who are imprisoned and are guilty and are giving a harsh judgment, they don't necessarily improve their lives. They don't get better. In fact, when they were released, they go, return to their old way of living because that's the reality they know. But it's actually been proven when you try to rehabilitate people and change the way they see themselves and you give them the psychological and the therapy and all of that to kind of understand where their behavior started, then there's a much higher rate of people not going back to their old lifestyle and 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 i think this is an important thing for us to understand that when we talk about this spiritually speaking what heals a person is not uh guilt it doesn't have the capacity to heal a person because guilt just reinforces the ego strengthens the ego remember the ego is self perception the way you see yourself and guilt only reinforces the narrative of the ego. This is who you are. And that's why it will never work. That's why we must awaken within to pure consciousness where we move beyond, where we move deeper than thoughts and we just become aware of this sacred presence within us that permeates with love. And that brings healing, that brings healing to our heart. And your heart is your sense of self, your inner inner, uh, sense of self. And when that is healed, now your view of yourself will also uh, change. And that produces a new reality. And it frees you from the need to act in a way that uh, you shouldn't act.
0: So if you put a religious spin on this, in the Bible it says, and this is punish your don't spare the rod. I've heard the I've heard so many times, don't spare the rod on your children, or don't spare the rod when someone does something bad. How do you explain that when it comes to um chastisement uh, for something or being punished? Use the word punished for for certain things.
1: I think there are two explanations. First of all, when people bring up the Bible, I tell them, listen to episode five and give you a better understanding of episode six so was it five five episode five on what the bible is and i think that will help people secondly uh i I just you know the evidence is there, the scientific evidence is there that corporate punishment does not make people's lives better uh it doesn't work in fact it does the opposite and so Uh, I I don't know what else. And I think this this same principle is true in our own lives. So for example, if you're continually told, when you do something wrong, when you were a child, Marcus, if you did something wrong, and you're continually told that you are bad, you did this, what you did was terrible. And you know, you are such a liar, you always lie. Well, what happens is you become a liar, because you're told you're a liar. And you believe that report and it it doesn't change your life. It doesn't improve your life. And the only way, as I said, is to move beyond the guilt story into the story of awakening, awakening beyond thought to that sacred presence within you.
0: So you have a subcategory that says how religion has missed the mark. You put sin was essentially a label attached to anything we did that was deemed wrong immoral or evil um can you explain that because i know again it goes back to the bible and how sin is being spoken about but can you elaborate on that
1: we're going back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil again and you know many people perceive and look at God through the prism of good and evil. And in the prism of good and evil, there has to be sin. There has to be evil. And ultimately, sin is evil as opposite of good. And good is whatever value we, we consider the highest. So what happens is this, we have this view of God and that, that if we do not, if we sin, Then we're going to be banished to hell for eternity. We will suffer. There will be punishment, and we will suffer for eternity. So because of that, now Jesus had to come and kind of arbitrarily save people if you confess his name, and then you won't be sent to hell. Now, I think that is a story that we've been told, but I'm not sure that's a correct story of the Bible. I think that really the correct story of the Bible is that sin, as we talked about in an earlier podcast, sin is not so much uh, making a mistake, it is missing the mark of who we are and being aware of our union with God. And when you live with under the egoic system of sin and knowledge of good and evil and all of that, then you have to have laws, you have to have the commandments, you have to have rules to become a better person, because that is the ego's interpretation of the story of the Bible. It's the ego's answer to the problem of evil and what's wrong in the world. But it's flawed because it reasons that I or the ego can be reformed and saved. The ego wants to be reformed. It wants to survive. It wants to be saved from the evil impulses it developed in its unconscious state, but it doesn't want to come to an end of itself by surrendering to unconditional love. And that's the thing. that That is the answer to it. In other words, the ego wants to survive and sin and reinforcing a message of sin It's just a way to keep strengthening the ego. The Ten Commandments is a way to keep strengthening the ego, keep you locked in in that self-identification of you are not enough. You're not good enough. You don't measure up.
0: So the ego can never be good, right? You said unaware ego can be unaware of the divine union of love. It's however incapable of being good
1: the ego is incapable of understanding unconditional love it cannot the ego is not you remember this it's not your true essence it is your conditioned mind it is what has happened through years of programming things that have taken place in your life where you are no longer aware of this sacred presence within you god the divine reality where that permeates with love, unconditional, selfless, universal love that permeates with peace, that permeates with grace. When you're aware of that within you, what happens is that it transforms your actions and your thoughts and attitudes, and now it transforms who you believe yourself to be that then leads to a life where we do good and help others and we don't live in what we used to call refer to as sin we don't make the mistakes the mistakes are so much less because uh the way we see ourselves has been transformed we don't act out all our before these natural inclinations that we had to do what is wrong and to do this because our sense of identity has been transformed and so what i'm saying here is that that the bible tells a story about the ego way of salvation but the true story of the bible is jesus showing a different way and showing awakening to the presence of god within him that he is one with god and he's one with all and that being the thing that frees him then from the propensity to do mistakes and errors and so misdeeds toward others or sin toward others
0: so I want to go back and press you a little bit on the Ten Commandments that you spoke about in here. And you said, "For so the real story that we learn from Jesus is that reforming the ego is pointless. Obeying the commandments was a device created by the ego to keep us trapped in the fearful thoughts of guilt, therefore further alienating us from divine love. when." The Ten Commandments were created and given. um, They were laws. There was a law. You know, the world was under a law. And being under that law, wasn't that there to help us become better people?
1: No. Uh, It never was. And that's a quite direct answer. But uh, I want to give you as clear of an answer as I can. No, no, no. It was never meant for that person. It doesn't have the capacity. It was supposed to demonstrate the vulnerability of the system of good and evil. And the law was given. The Ten Commandments was given for people who were under the control of the ego, of the ego. And it was supposed to say, no, it doesn't work. It's not, that's not the answer. But Jesus came to present a different way of awakening within to the presence of God, that God is not far away. He is in you. He is in me. He's in all of us. And when we awaken to that reality, then our lives is transformed.
0: You went on to a story about a minister who had a problem with TV being bad. And every time he'd go out to the hotel room, he'd put a blanket over the TV, unplug the TV because, you know, it it was always delivering uh, something that was not uh, supportive to his way of life. I remember growing up, um, ministers would come to our church and we... I'm sorry, but we used to be upset when they came because there was always some new show that we weren't able to watch on TV as kids anymore. First off, it started off with the Smurfs. The Smurfs is a cartoon to me. And it was because they said the Smurfs means blue devil and we weren't able to watch the Smurfs anymore. It totally (laughs) ruined our lives as kids. So can you elaborate a little bit more about how that story you, you explained um, really contradicts certain things?
1: Yeah, what happened was that was it was by my own personal journey. I there was a guy, he would stand up and preach. And when I was a young, I was a young pastor, a young minister, and just starting out, and it was this pastor who would come around and he would always say, You know, I I TV is a evil thing, and I when I go into a hotel room, I don't want to watch anything bad. So I put like a towel over the TV and I plug the TV so that I won't be tempted to watch it. So I thought in my little ignorance that, you know, well, that's the way to achieve greatness in the church, in my religion, in my faith. That's the way that God will see that I'm deserving of this great ministry, that I'm deserving to have this platform to speak so that I must do the same thing as my friend. I must show the same kind of ability to kind of push away any impulses that I have to watch TV. And I remember do, trying that, but I failed miserably. And the more I failed, the more depressed I got, the more dissolution I became, the more anxious I became, the more angry with myself I became. I developed all these emotions because I could not beat the television. The more I tried, the more i could not because the ego is incapable of reformation it's incapable of uh, being reformed and being saved it cannot be saved but that's the story that we most of the time hear in many churches today but it's not the story as i see it in the bible Certainly, people can interpret it that way, but I think there is a deeper a mystical story in the Bible where it really is about awakening and recognizing, watch as much TV as you like, do whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not significant. What's, what's significant is that you awaken because that's going to transform what you do and how you do it, and it's going to help you uh, live with... Uh, less sin and i use sin here in the traditional sense where people that come to know it as sin i don't necessarily think that's a true definition but for for you know it, within the goic uh realm that's how people see sin and within religion that's how people see sin you you got to be free from all of that because your actions will be transformed by unconditional love
0: so in the book it says The ego needs to condemn others and relieve its own insecurity and guilty conscience. Can you explain a little bit on that?
1: Well, the ego, of course, needs separation. And the best way and the most effective way to create separation is through having an enemy. So especially if the ego feels under attack, if the ego feels that I'm not very good, if the ego feels that I am unworthy, that I have failed, that I'm, I'm I've done all these things wrong, then the ego needs to relieve its own insecurity and guilt. The conscious and the way it relieves that is by attacking other people, other groups of people. So it could be like uh, you know it could be just uh, you attacking your husband, your wife, your uh, s- some other person at your work or something like that, or it could just be on a group level as well. We can attack people of different religions. We political parties, races, nations and sexual orientations, we find an enemy because it's a way to relieve, to make us feel better about ourselves. It's a way to strengthen our ego that we are more spiritually advanced than other people. We're more enhanced than they are. We're a little bit better than they are. And so we accomplish that by diminishing somebody else and making an enemy of someone else because that leads to more separation and ultimately the ego wants separation that's it it survives on its separation from others well
0: doesn't that reveal itself in a lot of religious um uh, religions i guess you could say where you're wrong because you don't believe what i believe or you're not right so until you come over to my belief. You see a lot of people that way.
1: Religion is, uh, in most cases, not all religions, and certainly uh, not all aspects within every religion, or all all facets or groups within religions are necessarily that way. But religions overall are built on this fallacy of good and evil. Uh, And in many ways, is the furthest away from God because the understanding of God is based on an egoic understanding, an egoic view of the world. And that ultimately always separates, always puts these categories of us versus them. You're in or out. You're either part of us or you're not part of us. And if you're not part of us, then you're evil. It puts people in this Categories between good and evil, that where we are ultimately the good people and the people who are, on, who are unlike us are the evil or the bad people. And that enhances us, that enhances our group, it enhances our identity. We feel better about ourselves, but it's all part of a system that is outside of God. If you study the Bible and believe the Bible, where reality is that God is love. And there's only one way that we truly know God is by how much we love other people. And love is is an acceptance. It is unconditional. It's not based on anything except that you see past their mistakes and what they've done. You see them at their true essence, you see them, if you wanna use religious terminology, you see that Christ is all and in all, you see the Christ in them, even though they may differ from you, because your center of gravity is not the goic mind, it's your spirit and your spirit is one with all things. And you see that.
0: And you quote a portion in John that says, "'Everyone who loves, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. How do you end guilt?
1: Well, we go back to, and I think this is the subject of the book, of course, is to awaken, awaken again to unconditional love. Uh, Guilt can never coexist with unconditional love. It's impossible. The guilt Pushes me further away from an awareness of eternal, of the eternal love union that is the ultimate truth. So, the only way to be free is not to perpetuate the lie that the ego uh, tells, but instead, uh, move beyond those egoic thoughts and awaken to that deepest part within you. And, you know, you do that. I do, you know, every day you can meditate or when you go out, we talked about many different things that you can do this. And we'll talk more about that in the, in the next uh, part of the book. We'll get more into the actual ways that we can experience freedom from this. But the ego is the cause of so many problems. And this is just another sign of the problem. Guilt is another um, part of the problem of the ego.
0: And you awaken to one of the categories you have is you are not your mistake. I contradicting that a little bit is, but your mistakes helps you grow, right? Or that's still guilt that you're dealing with that keeps you on the right track or or, or what, how would you explain that?
1: What mistakes do, they can lead to suffering and suffering can lead to a an end of not always but suffering can lead to the end of the ego in other words you just say i can't do it there's impossible i don't know how to i don't know how to do this anymore i need help i need grace i need transformation i can't do it i tried everything in my power i cannot do it so Part of that, when you say you're not your mistakes, what I'm saying by that is that ultimately that's not who you are. And we go back to the same thing. You are not this conceptualized idea that you have about yourself. You're not your first and last name, even though that is a, is part of your identity. But when that is the center of your gravity, when that is who you believe yourself to be at the very core, at your deepest level, when you identify with all these external conditionings, all the things that have been told about you and all the things that you have done, all the things and the traumas in your life, when you begin to identify with that stuff, it always leads to failure and more failure. So part of awakening is to realize I am not my mistakes. I have made many mistakes, but I'm not the mistakes. It's not my identity. My truest and deepest self is that I'm one with God. And the truest and deepest self of everyone is that they're one with God. And so when you begin to see this in yourself, you begin now to see that in others as well. You begin to see that when they make a mistake, you're no longer there to try to cuss them up and try to belittle them and, and try to attack them. you recognize that uh, they made a mistake, but they are not their mistake. At the truest and deepest self, they are one with God. And that changes how we interact with one another, but it also changes our own personal life.
0: And you say it also changes the negative and toxic emotions in your cellular memories, and they become disempowered and deactivated. When saying that, does that mean that you no longer dwell on the mistakes that you had, your subconscious in your cells are Changing to a more loving, positive way?
1: Emotions, especially emotions that have have been there for a long time. For example, if things happen when you were young or things happened 10 years ago, emotions get stored in your body. That's why your body breaks down. One reason why your body breaks down and one reason people have cancer is all these toxic emotions. And it literally, science is now looking at how these memories, especially the emotions, get embedded into your body. So, your response when something is said, when something is done wrong, and it kind of triggers something in your emotions that are rooted in your body that leads to this stress you feel in your body, this tension you feel in your body, and that ultimately breaks it down. So if you want to be free from that you have to move beyond deeper than the identification with your mind and your thoughts your emotions you have to move to that point you have to awaken it's not something you can force it's not something you can do it's not something you can make happen because that would be an egoic response as well it's it's just allowing some another grace it just happens when it happens you come to an end of yourself, and that is grace. You come to an end of your ego. You come to an end of trying to make this thing work on your own, and you say, I can't do it. It's impossible. I need grace. And at those moments, we begin to awaken to the deepest part within us, and there we find this incredible love, peace that transforms our well-being. And oftentimes people go back, for many people, it's just a momentary experience. But if we actually allow that to transform our sense of identity, who we are at the very core, it will lead to healthy and a much healthier life.
0: And that leads into making your mistakes into a story of redemption, not guilt. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, your story is a story. It's all it is. Story is... Yeah, we can tell ourselves these stories and you can look at them as I did this wrong. Yeah, yeah, I did those things wrong. But guess what I got from it? I came to an end on myself. I came to an end on my ego. It was like this crucifixion on my ego. And I came to an end. I says, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. And now I have discovered this vast presence a stillness within me, the presence of God, the sacred presence, my own sacred presence, my truest and deepest self that is, in, that is one with God. And I see that in all people.
0: And then you say if it pretty much creeps back in to you because sometimes it does go back. You quickly return to love when guilt seeks entrance into your thoughts. How do you no. do that?
1: Uh, I mean, for me, I do it through meditation. I do it or I step outside. I just take a pause in the day. But usually every day I begin with meditation, at least for 20 to 30 minutes, when I just still myself to the point where I'm completely aware. Some people think meditation is falling asleep. I said, no, no, you missed the whole point of meditation. Meditation is being very alert, but where you are so intensely focused on now and the present moment, being aware of your inner person, being aware of the sacred presence within you, feeling the energy inside of you and feeling that presence of love within you. And the more you do that, the more then it transforms your, your heart and the more your ego cannot survive the more you, and then you begin to observe and you begin to recognize that the ego is not who I am. You actually begin, when you have these thoughts, you actually begin to observe them. And that observer is the awareness. It's not the thoughts, but it's the awareness that you have within you. So you begin to observe these thoughts as being foreign entities to your true self. Oh, you have these, you have these uh, thousands and tens of thousands of thoughts every day. Well, they many of them are so wrapped up in I, me and, and everything else, the ego. But when you begin to uh, observe them, this awareness within you, when you begin to awaken to that, you now observe these thoughts, not as yourself as being you, but as something foreign to you. And then they, they begin to lose their power. They begin to lose the grip on you and they begin to be diminish inside of you. And suddenly you experience a new level of freedom that you never had before. All right. Even the dog, that, <laughs> the dog agreed with that.
0: I think the dog agreed at that. So do you advise when meditating if you are in a relationship or in with uh, your significant other, that's something that the whole household does? And the reason why I say that, because it seems like it's something that can allow good thoughts. A peaceful place and a place of love to you to have in your home where it's just it's peace
1: i think it's important for everybody to meditate um, and it certainly will lead to peace the more you do that the more everyone practices that in the home it will eventually lead to more and more peace no question about it and especially if you meditate as i said on If you truly understand this whole thing about awakening, moving beyond the ego, begin to become aware of your own ego, or be aware of, not your own, because it's not like a possession, be aware of the ego within you. When you're aware of it as something foreign to you, the more it will transform yourself, and that ultimately will transform your relationships. So the more people practice that in the house, the more it will improve the relationships.
0: I guess the reason why I asked that question is because a lot of this is working on your individual self. And as you work on your individual self, there is some support that you would like from some other people in your home or things like that. Would you, and that's why I asked that question, uh, is, is this something that you just have to discover in you more than you, more than a supportive role in someone else?
1: Yeah. And the reason why is because you cannot force anybody else. The moment you force somebody else to have this, you are, it becomes a again. It's, you're trying to control them. You're trying to control the situation. People can only awaken to it. There's only one way you can awaken to it. And people will awaken when they're ready to awaken. And there has to be suffering. There has to be an element of suffering in your life before you truly awaken to it. So some people may never awaken to it. Some people may have suffering and they still don't awaken to it. So, you can't, you can't force it on anybody. You can't even force it on yourself. We may not even awaken ourselves. You cannot just make it happen. You have to come to that place within you of the ego. And you begin to recognize this is not working for me. Uh, The guilt story, the religious story, all these different stories that we keep telling ourselves, I kind of, there's something deeper. In other words, religion, religion, say that we are the ones who's going to help it but religion reinforces this entrapment in knowledge of good and evil in the egoic mind it doesn't set people free from it unless you truly understand jesus of course and a lot of other spiritual leaders have taught the same thing but that you begin to realize no the answer is within you it is awakening to that deepest part within you that is one with god but everyone is on their own personal journey in that Well, that's
0: chapter seven, The Myth of Failure. It ended on a positive note. If you look at the title, The Myth of Failure, you're kind of thinking that, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen at the end? (laughs) But it ended on a positive note. And your first, second, and third ways of ending guilt, the first being you are not your mistakes, the second being Make your mistakes into a story of redemption, not guilt. And thirdly, quickly return to love when guilt seeks entrance into your thoughts. And I really like your advice of meditation when that does happen or you feel like things are unwinding back to where you don't want to be. So Again, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our
1: website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.